right. Well, um, I think that I counted, I have preached for nine straight weeks, and so I figured that my voice was probably becoming a bit monotonous for you. And so I'm going to take a, uh, that's what I was hoping for, for Adele. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so uh, I'm taking a break today, and in my absence, uh, one of our elders, Andrew Lang, is going to be bringing the message, and so I ask that you would uh, kind of open your hearts and uh, receive what Andrew has to say. Andrew is uh, one of our founding elders, been with us from the very beginning, uh, been a tremendous blessing to this church in many ways. He's leading a thriving uh, middle school ministry along with some others who have begun to step up and help in that area. Uh, we have 25 to 30 middle schoolers that congregate, yeah, that uh, come together every uh, uh, second and fourth Sundays of the month, and uh, Andrew's been uh, serving them for years now, done a great job. Uh, he uh, has been a, a personal blessing to me, and I know you all know he's a blessing to this church. Uh, the only um, bad thing about Andrew is still the kiss from last week. I just have not recovered from it, and uh, I'm not entirely certain I will ever recover from it. It's just kind of scarred me. And so, um, but other than that, this is a really good man. So uh, why don't you welcome Andrew? Well, thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. It's in the Bible. Hey, we had another, I don't know, I'm going to put Jim on the spot, but Jim and Sheila White also had a beautiful baby boy this week. This is awesome. God is blessing our community with wonderful kids. And by the way, I think Brian might have mentioned this, but, you know, we, we tore apart Shua in uh, Ben's office, relegated Ben to a closet and Shua to a nice windowed office because... We have so many kids. That toddler group back there, there's 20 kids back there. So we are so blessed. God is blessing us. So what we've done is sort of shifted resources. You notice, too, that the high schoolers are out the whole service to free up. I think they got 20 kids in there. So it's a blessing, and, and uh, we need to keep mindful of that. So we're going to continue in our series of the promises of God. And uh, I read a book this week, called Margin. This is by Dr. Richard Swenson, MD. Restoring the emotional, physical, financial, and time resources to overloaded lives. If you want to borrow it, it's all marked up. All the good stuff is underlined. You can borrow it. I think that was given to me, ironically, by my boss at work, who tends to overload my life. But I love him. <laughs> and if you're listening, Irv... I love you. He's not listening. He's in Atlanta. So um, this is a medical doctor, and it's it's um, printed by Nav Press, the Navigators. So it's a it's a Christian book. He's an evangelical book. He talks a lot about Jesus in there. It's a good book. And I thought it would be additive to what we're talking about today, which is the promise of peace. He's a keen observer of of American culture in particular. But as a doctor, he's seen how we as Americans have been just bombarded by stuff and things and time. And the word margin, the book's name, as used in his book, is what's left over. If you look in the Bible, the white space around a page is margin. If you're in the business community, 
And you pay all your bills and you pay your taxes and you pay your employees. What's left over is often called margin. Uh, Dr. Swenson says that in the 21st century, we're living on less and less margin in our lives. And some of the older folks, me included, agree. And because of this lessening or lack of margin in our lives, we're being impacted emotionally, physically, spiritually. So margin is what's left over after you pay your bills, after the work is completed, meetings are finished, and games are all attended. It's room to breathe at the end of the day, or at the end of the week, or at the end of the paycheck. Here's some examples. Marginless living builds fatigue. Margin builds energy. Marginless is red ink. Margin is black ink. Hurry or calm. Anxiety or security. Culture or counterculture. We humans in this age have chronically overloaded our, our lives with stuff and meetings and responsibility and debt. All of which set, uh, suffocates our margin. And since we are finite beings... As we keep loading on more and more stuff into our lives, we hit a saturation point. We can't take it anymore. We get stressed out. Dr. Swenson describes some of the types of overload that manifest themselves in our crazy American lives and see if you agree with him. There's activity overload. All you have to do is look at your planner for this week. What are you doing? What are your kids doing? What's your wife doing? What's your husband doing? Change overload. How rapidly change comes at us. There's a new iPhone? Really? Choice overload. Have you ever heard somebody really good order a coffee at Starbucks? And I go up there purposely and say, I want a coffee. I want a small coffee. Decaf. That's it. And they're like, okay. All right. Commitment overload. There's debt overload. There's decision overload. Expectation overload. Fatigue overload. Hurry. Information overload. Media overload, noise overload, people overload, three more, four more. Possession overload, technology overload, traffic overload, and work overload. This lack of margin affects Americans physically. He states, the doctor states, that four out of five Americans report that they uh, desire to reduce the stress in their life. And oftentimes they resort to that through prescribed or non-prescribed tranquilizers. This stress impacts the workplace. In 2010, there was a loss of 225 million workdays in the United States. That's about 1 million people a day are staying home because they're stressed out. They're ill. Overloading affects us emotionally. Victims, quote unquote, of overload suffer from anxiety, hostility, depression, resentment, and simply just giving up. And overloading can affect us spiritually as well. We have less time for prayer, for meditation, less time to read God's word, less energy and time for service to the king, and less interest in fellowship with other believers. Margin says, the author, is the, this is the definition. Margin is the space between our load, what we can carry, and our limits. The gap between exhaustion and rest. The gap between suffocating and breathing freely. Most of the overload in our lives are the result of choices we make. That's why I said victims. Because most of these are choices we make. Dr. Swenson correctly 
shows that we can use the brain that God has given us to make similar choices to be countercultural, to increase the margin in our lives. Today, we're going to continue with the promise series, promises of God, and we're going to look at what God says about the promise of rest. So let's pray first. Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the Bible. I thank you so much that you care about us fallen people, Lord, that you give us instructions and you call us, Lord, and you call us. Father, I thank you for your patience. And I pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would grab hearts. Not to, we're not here to, to uh, make fun of people or beat down people, Lord Jesus. We want to make them aware. And I pray that your word does that. I pray you would save souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. All right. I think I might be up there later. Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint. Familiar verses to many of us. Wonderful verses. Let me ask you a question. Who here is tired? You don't, you, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Thank you, Adam. Who here is tired? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if we could turn down these lights just a little bit more and you could take a nap in this quiet space? Let me ask you another question. Who is napping right now? <laughs> so you might need your spouse, spouse to raise your hand for you. Thank you. Thank you, Adele. <laughs> All right. Do you believe that God wants you to live well? To have a life that is at peace and full of rest? Yes, he does. Pastor preached on peace last week. And why do you think that is? Because God loves you. And more than any human father can love his children, God, as his role as our father and our creator, loves us even more. He's more than our father. He's our creator. He is the almighty God of the universe who through wisdom and love formed us. He breathed into dust to form us. The Bible says that God takes such an interest in each and every one of us that he knew us before we were in the womb. He loves us so much and cares about every intricate detail about our lives. That the Bible says every hair on our head is numbered. Numbered by him. God is such a bond with mankind that the Bible says we were created in his image. When you become saved, you're called a child of God. When you become saved... You're called a friend of God. What an amazing thought it is to be afforded such an intimate relationship with the almighty and everlasting king of the universe. So here on earth, God wants us to live well. He created us perfectly just like he wanted. He wants us to be good stewards of the body he has given us. The body, which the Bible calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. At creation, human bodies were created perfect. And pure. God wants us to be healthy, as healthy as we can be in this fallen age. A foundational 
component of living a healthy life is to have rest. What I just stated about God's design for mankind to have a physical and psychological balance in our lives, which allows for rest, is completely correct and supported in Scripture. But there is obviously a deeper, a much deeper supernatural component coming from the words of the Bible that God would have us to know as well. God's promise of rest is stated many times in the Bible. We're going to talk two main texts today, one we just did, which show the concern that God has for our lives having to do with rest. To live a life that is rested, fulfilled, a life that is content. We as humans, particularly 20, Americans in the 21st century, are so frenetic and busy in our activities. This isn't the way God intended it to be. This is not how God designed humanity. He wanted us to be a people who were fulfilled and were rested. He designed this earth to have an order and a structure that was not crashing out of control as we hurtled down a slope, chasing after things of this world. You're tired. I'll just say we're tired. We're worn out. We're stressed. Always looking over our shoulder. Don't want to pick up the phone because bill collectors are calling or people at work want you to do something. It's a hassle every time we turn around. And I'll be honest with you. This isn't just me telling it to you. It's about ourselves as well. The Lang family. Let me give you an example. One time we violated this concept. One time. This is one notable time. That we violated the concept of margin. Here's what happened. Lang family enrolled one of our youngsters in an indoor soccer league. Sounded like a great idea. Exercise in the off-season. Keep the team together. What could go wrong? Talk about living on margin. It turns out that the Easton Soccer Barn, or whatever it's called, charges a lot of money for the privilege of using their bristle-brushed field for a 40-minute weekly time slot. It cost so much that the coach said, hey, we need to get a kind of a budget break here. So he looked for a cheaper day which happened to be on Sunday. So every Sunday, this is when we were meeting over at the Baptist church, so you'll see this reference here in a second, because they had a gravel parking lot. Every Sunday, we rushed out of church to drive extremely fast up to Easton. We stopped at McDonald's, that wonderful McDonald's BP up there, got lunch, ate it in the car. The kid changed his clothes in the back seat. And to top it all off, at the end, by the end of the season, our little fake gold trophy winning soccer player got a horrible staph infection because he uh, did a slide tackle on this bristle brushed, brushed grass stuff that apparently is never cleaned. It was a maddening season and boy was it ever a life lesson to the hectic pace that we allow, my family allowed ourselves to put ourselves through and it was on the Sabbath day so by the end of the season, our child was on antibiotics, my marriage was on, was rubbed raw, and the pastor kept looking for us because it was a big cloud of dust as we pulled out of that gravel parking lot, beep beep, see you pastor. So God allowed us to make that decision, which I know now was breaking the Sabbath, the rest that he instituted for my family, and he graciously allowed us to learn a wonderful life lesson about the need for rest. So let's study more in scripture. What God says about rest. Turn with me to the very first chapter. 
of the very first book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. The first chapter of the Bible details how God created all things. The heavens and the earth. He created the earth, the daylight, the evening, all the vegetation, animals, and ultimately God created man and woman. Follow along with me. Genesis 1 verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I'm not emphasizing the Sabbath day per se so much today as I want to focus on this amazing occurrence. So right out of the chute, at the beginning of the Bible, we see a story of God taking a rest. So here is God, a being who in a six-day, six 24-hour period created all of creation. He's almighty. Here's the Lord of the universe. Here's the Father of life. Here's the maker of heaven and earth. Here's the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty, everlasting, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, Lord and Savior. And here is God, and what's he doing? He's resting. So Jehovah God, the only one true God, rested. He certainly didn't need to rest because he was weary. But as any good father will do with his children, he rested in order to establish a pattern. To teach his kids. By God taking his rest after creating the heavens and the earth. God is modeling for us our need to take a rest. One Bible scholar points out aptly that it wasn't so much that God rested. As he was satisfied with his creation. Because he saw that it was good. And he took a breath and he took a break from all his activity to model the behavior of rest. And we're familiar what happens just two chapters later. In the book of Genesis. Where mankind succumbs to the temptation of the devil. Disobeying God's command. Which ultimately led Adam and Eve. To be banished from the garden of Eden. And ultimately to, for humans. To break our relationship with God. Because of mankind's rebellion to God. Because mankind thought they could outsmart God. And become like him. Or because of their lack of faith. We are now a fallen people. And we are destined, the Bible says, to toil all the days of, the life, of our life. The toil of mankind continues through to today, where we find ourselves without rest. But God wants us to have a physical rest, and he designed this for us. So while we're still in the Old Testament, let's take a look at what God also wants us to learn about the topic of rest from both a spiritual and a physical perspective. In the book of Numbers, we read a story, this is familiar to you, I'm sure, where the Israelites, who were delivered from slavery by God, the miracles and power of God, and have now just about entered into the promised land. They make it right up to the edge of Canaan, the promised land. And Moses sends warriors and spies into the promised land to see what kind of land it was. And the spies come back and they say, of all these wonderful things that are in there, 
really a, a land flowing with milk and honey. But there are these tribes there, these huge people, very numerous that we cannot conquer, could not possibly be defeated. The leaders of the Israelites, Moses and Aaron, pleaded with their kinfolk to trust God, to protect them as they move their families into the land that God has promised. Now think about this. Moving into this land was fulfillment of God's promise of rest for the Israelites. They had fled Pharaoh's army. They were chased into the desert and they were carrying everything on their backs. Grandma, grandpa, old, young, newborns, lame folks, all members of the family had to walk hundreds of miles across barren desert where there was no food, shelter, or drink. This was a people who had a right to be tired, to be in need of rest, and, and God had provided for them. He gave them a land full of water and wonderful soil and plenty of food and his almighty protection. This is the promised land, and there they are right at the border. But they did not trust the Lord. Even after all the miracles that he did, they did not, they did not believe God. And even after all the miracles that he did, they still did not believe that God would protect them against these enemies. The people grumbled, and they rebelled, and began scheming to take the lives of Moses and Aaron. So God had enough. Because if you remember, this was not the first time they grumbled. They grumbled a lot. Let's say this again. We grumble a lot. God's righteous anger raised up. Numbers chapter 14, 11. God says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But Moses intercedes. On behalf of the Israelites and pleads to God for his mercy on his people. And after Moses goes through all the many reasons that God should spare the lives of the Israelites. God responds in verse 20. I, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. Not one of the men and women who saw my glory and miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it, will ever see the promised land, will ever get God's rest. Because of their unbelief and their rebelliousness, the entire Jewish, an entire Jewish generation had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years while they started dying off. Because he didn't want any of those folks, few of those folks got in, but any of those folks to make it into the promised land. Because of their unbelief, the rest that God promised he would give to the people in the promised land has two dimensions. Clearly, there's physical rest. This is a strategic stretch of land that God had given to the chosen people. And he has protected them since the time of Joshua. That's the physical side, but there is also a divine spiritual side, a rest that God promises to mankind. This spiritual rest comes to mankind by faith in Jesus. Israel never entered into their full rest because of their unbelief, but God has a great, has a rest far greater than that 
promised in Canaan. The physical and the spiritual rest talked about in Scripture are intertwined. Having a restful life on this side of the grave indicates your satisfaction with what God has provided you. Being restful shows that your priorities are balanced. Let me give you some practical advice about achieving God's promise of rest that I've learned over these years. Now, they may not work for you, but I found them to be helpful in my life as I seek to live a life that is more rest and more in control in this crazy culture. First thing, tithing. God did not institute the tithe because he needs my money. Any more than God needed to rest after six days of creation. Creating everything. He didn't need to rest. God instituted the tithe as an earthly and spiritual discipline. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Once Jennifer and I began tithing many years ago, we have seldom had to struggle with bills. And since then, I've been laid off four times. I never missed a payment, and there's always a job waiting. This last time, it took a little bit of time. There was always a job waiting. I'm hearing church bells. All right. Are they related? Is it related that I t- we're tithing and God is taking care of our finances? I say they're exactly related. Second thing, plan for breaks. My work life is hectic. I think I'm going to Dallas on Tuesday, okay? So to visit a client that just called and said, Hey, I, I want to come in. You got to come and talk to me. We have this wonderful thing at work where my colleagues can get into my calendar and schedule things without me knowing. And it just pops up. You have a conference call. Mm. So here's what I've done. Trying to take control and planning for my breaks. A couple of years ago, I started planning my breaks. Frankly, they say, uh, they say working, I think. I don't think they can read it. I hope my, <laughs> my colleagues can't read it, but I plan, right? Because I have special things at school I want to go to. I have dinners I want to attend. So I plan it out. Get ahead of it. Third thing, fellowship. Are you tired of faking it? All right? In this crazy culture, there's a lot of faking going on. Are you tired of playing Mr. Smiley Teeth all the time in this spastic culture? We had 30 guys yesterday having a breakfast down the hall there. Wonderful sausage gravy from Paul. Hey, these are guys. These are guys. Hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? You know? But we're letting down our guard, right? Let down your guard. Have fellowship with somebody. Listen, the Bible says to confess our sins to one another, to talk to one another. Fellowship is, as, is an important part of being a member of the body of Christ, his church. So slow down, take some, try to make some deep friends in church. Let down your guard a little bit. We're all a bunch of sinners. We all have the same struggles and same issues that you go through. Same temptations. Fourth thing, honor the Sabbath. Remember, God gave us an example of him resting on that seventh day. When Jennifer and I lived in Germany, interestingly, the culture, Saturday at noon, all stores shut down, not to open again until Monday. When I was a young person in Northeast Ohio, we never had any games on Sunday. I know that's different today. The culture has, for the most part, given into this postmodern lifestyle of busyness. But that doesn't mean you have to. In our house, we don't allow, small example, we don't allow video games before church on Sunday. 
We try not to work on Sunday. Sometimes I have to fly out to meetings. And we don't have anybody come and do work at our house on Sunday. Because that's explicitly spelled out in the Bible. Whenever I can, I want to control my environment. Because there's so many things that are out of control in this culture. Lastly, realignment. I suggest that you may want to realign yourself. For whom are you striving? As a person of the world... You are striving for money and power and fortune and fame, I suppose. As a person of faith, we are told to contend for the faith. We are to strive to please God, strive to conduct our lives so that we are worthy to be called his son or his daughter. We are to strive to share the knowledge of salvation that we have been blessed with. Let me give you some quick definitions that I looked up in the Bible, in the dictionary, because I thought they were kind of neat. Being at rest means to cease from action or motion. You stop doing what you're doing. Now, applying that to God's rest means to be more, uh, means to have no more self-effort. Okay? No more trying to please God with all the work I'm doing. We can't work our way into heaven. We are saved. We are promised eternal rest by the grace of God alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. A second definition of rest is being free from whatever worries or disturbs you. It means to be quiet, to be still, to be peaceful, free from guilt and the things that sometimes drive us crazy. Applying this to God's rest means to be at peace with God. It means to be free from the guilt, not to worry about past sins. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And we are at rest. No more anxiety, no more pressure. No more guilt, just peace. Another last definition of rest given to us in the dictionary is the act of leaning on something. Therefore, for the remainder of our lives, we should lean on God. He is the almighty God of the universe. And we can be assured that when we are weak and weary, we can lean on him. He's not going to topple over. God promises us rest if we believe in him. If we accept his offer of salvation, we can be assured that of his promise of rest. God promises eternal life in heaven that is available by faith to all who would receive it, to even, even to you. So turn with me to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11 and 28. Where we see not only a wonderful example of the harmony between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We also see a clear example of God's rest defined for us as a long-term spiritual promise. Matthew 11 and 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus is calling us to come to him, to submit to him as Savior and Lord. As it says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, and that doesn't mean who listens to me or understands, or uh, uh, um, has people talk about me, comes to me 
is someone who submits to me. Will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, a discerning reader, frankly, a reader of the Bible who has the Holy Spirit's power in them, will understand that Jesus isn't just talking about food in the belly or getting a good night's rest. Important, those are sure. But Jesus here is talking about salvation, about eternity, about entering into God's rest forever. He is the sovereign Lord, and he's humbly asking us, his creation to reestablish that broken relationship that Adam and Eve did back in the garden. And to not forget him like we do all the time in our culture. Look again at Matthew 11. Jesus is calling all people, not just the good, the smiley-faced, not just the kind or the generous, not just the church-going people. He's calling all of mankind to accept God's rest in heaven forever. 2 Peter 3.9, I use this a lot because it's awesome. 2 Peter 3.9 states, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, into rest, into salvation. 